back to the TCS podcast. Today, we have something a little different for you. We're going to show you the supply chain to blockchain panel from the Ethereum Chicago event. On this panel features TCS CEO Todd Ziegler, Michael Lombard of Lombard Trucking, Justin Martin from Freightwaves, Brendan Hyatt of Sheepdog Trucking, and Dale Christie, head of blockchain at FedEx. The introduction's a little brief, but we're going to bring you right in as Dale is introducing himself. It's full of good information. I personally learned a lot by listening to it. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. I'm Dale Christie. I'm business fellow and blockchain strategist for FedEx. Um, I led the first blockchain use case at FedEx in 2017 uh, and moved over and have been focusing on that full time since about 2018. And so uh, I think uh, in kind of setting this thing up, I'll, I'll go slightly deeper. Uh, we've got a long time to kind of explore this stuff, uh, however the case may be. But uh, from a FedEx point of view, um, if, I were, if I were there and if I, were, if I had a clicker in my hand and I'd show you a slide, the very first slide I would show you is essentially uh, the globe from space, uh, essentially from the International Space Station. And so one of the things I've learned over the last few years from a FedEx point of view uh, is that because we go to 220 countries and territories, our default position is essentially that International Space Station. And if you, if I, if I take you up there with me for you know 90 more seconds here before I shut up, um, if you go up there with me and take a look at that and imagine that view, uh, there is no company, there is no industry, there are no borders, and this and data does not know any geographic borders. So it's at that default position, basically, that we approach this. Um, our, our CEO, our, our founder came out in 2018 and said, this is gonna completely change worldwide supply chains. Um, we think a trust layer under everything is just gonna be, you know, a 10 year old today will grow up with that and won't, we won't even use the B word. Uh, it'll just be there. Um, and uh, we also think for it to be transformative, it has to be bigger than us. We don't think we can slap a FedEx logo on it and have UPS or DHL or others pay for it. Um, we are working with them shoulder to shoulder in what I refer to as a coopetition, a pro-competitive coopetition. Uh, I am chairman of the Bit of Standards Council, uh, which includes UPS uh, and others, and we are focused on uh, open source and royalty-free data standards globally. Uh, and we are playing the harmonizer role from that point of view. So again, I take a very big view of this um, and I wanted to kind of lay that out there. We think it's gonna literally transform global supply chains and I look forward to offering additional comments. So back to you. Thanks. Thanks, Dale. You do like a little round robin? Yeah, I'm gonna introduce you guys, uh, introduce yourselves. Okay. Yeah, my name is Brandon Hyatt with uh, Sheepdog Enterprises. We're a small carrier based out of uh, central Indiana. Uh, my name is Michael Lombard. Uh, I've, I've been driving for three years. Uh, more recently, I was uh, I was an owner operator as well. I had I had my own truck. Uh, I was I was a contractor leased on with Warren Transport out of Waterloo, Iowa. But more importantly, I'm also a founding member of an organization called CDL Drivers Unlimited. Uh, we we are a driver advocacy group uh, that offers you know uh, services for drivers, including mental health, physical fitness, and a lot of other benefits. But on top of that, we also do a lot of uh, you know we do we're, we're a political activist group working towards you know driver advocacy and small business advocacy in in D.C. and at, at the state and 
federal levels. Uh, I also host a podcast show called The Lombard Trucking Show where I talk to fellow drivers about issues in transportation, issues they're facing in their businesses, um, all sorts of things. I, I talk to all links of the chain, not just drivers, and we talk about all things transportation, and I use that as my platform as well as the organization I'm in to you know, advocate for drivers and small businesses, and that's kind of what led me here. You're also a social media maverick of sorts. <laughs> yeah. Um, hi, everybody. I'm, I'm Todd Ziegler. I'm the CEO of Truck Coin Swap. Uh, before I introduce myself, I really want to thank ETH Chicago, all the volunteers, all the workers, amazing job, terrific venue, um, fantastic event. Uh, I, I was so excited to be here this weekend. You know, I, I, nowadays I'm at, I'm at transportation conferences and blockchain digital asset conferences. Um, and it's, it's still a bit of a stark contrast, but I was so excited to be here today because this to me is the future of freight and the future of blockchain and digital assets. Um, when we're able as an industry to start creating real solutions for legacy industries, that's when I think we can, we can really get into to some mainstream adoption. So just a quick second on me. Um, I, am a, uh, I am an attorney by education, landed in the transportation industry about 10 years ago. Um, didn't know much about it. When I got into transportation, I was predominantly working with uh, Fortune 1000 shippers, helping them source capacity, work through procurement events, those types of things. Uh, don't, I still don't really consider myself a crypto native person. I didn't read the, uh, the Bitcoin white paper until 2017. Um, and it took me a couple years thinking about it to realize that the single largest problem that we have in the American transportation industry, which is a $2 trillion industry, is trade finance costs. Um, and it's a problem that nobody talks about. We hear a lot of conversations about... Uh, perhaps faux conversations about driver shortages and, and these other issues that we have in transportation in the supply chain, but nobody's really talking about the costs of trade finance, how that hurts small businesses, and how ultimately those costs that are extracted, uh, mostly by banks and intermediaries, end up hitting consumers. 72% uh, of everything that moves in terms of goods in the United States is on a truck at some point. So this is a, uh, it's a systemic problem in the transportation industry. Um, I'd, I'd like to say it's, it's a problem that we've solved a truck coin swap. We announced the world's first freight invoice settlement on the blockchain back in December. And uh, just, again, really excited to be here today with this panel and uh, to, to dialogue with, with all of you. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize just how it, it, transportation is everything. The chair you're sitting on, the clothes you're wearing, the food you just ate for breakfast today. That came here on a truck. So this is a big space to get into. Lots of problems to be solved. And I think um, we should start diving into some of these. Uh, Dale, so you're with FedEx. It's a big name in transportation. I know you guys are trying to work your own product into this. Are you receiving, are the other companies working on their own um, blockchain initiatives? Or are you guys like working more collaboratively? You know, I tell you that the journey started, like I said, in 2017, we were trying to solve a quality issue. I was VP of strategic planning and support for one of the FedEx opcos. And we were simply, we had a quality issue. We had a, um, you know, I, at, at my brain kind of connects a bunch of dots. So I'm going to go with what Todd says on the finance side. It was actually chargebacks. And there was some friction there where we had a receiver, a shipper and a carrier 
uh, and we were all talking past each other. Basically, part of that was in purchase order language, part of that was in bill of lading language, and then we got sideways with some of those things, and we had a couple of million dollars of exposure. The shipper had $25 million of exposure. I think of that as friction. So we can use Todd's example, we can use my example crossing the border. It's the same thing from my point of view. So um, we, I think we went down the same path as most people. And, you know, back in that time frame, I think we, you know, m most people uh, in that industry uh, were basically, I think, trying to treat it like the internet. You know, let's get, let's get the five of us, we're all pretty smart, let's sign non-disclosures. Uh, let's lock ourselves in a room and have somebody slide pizza in and wait for the puff of smoke to come out of the top of the room. And, you know, and then we're going to slap a logo on it. We're all going to get rich. And so um, that might still work. There, there, there's scenarios there where that will work. But from our point of view, in our lane, that 220 country and territory level, it won't scale. So if you could get, you know, even 50 or 70 people to sign up uh, to sign non-disclosures and to agree to something, you could probably get to many industries in the U.S. You could get maybe the U.S. healthcare industry, for example. But the global commerce level, it's millions and millions all the way from FedEx, DHL, et cetera, to a bicycle delivery company. And so we, we, we stumbled onto what we think was the fork in the road, which was yes we can you know let's go build a global supply chain blockchain and we did and it worked and the issue that what we ran full speed into the wall was it can't scale for us for at the global commerce level so that that really led us to what some something that really still not a lot of people are talking about but we started talking about this in 2018 and said it publicly in 2019 which is it's going to have for it to be transformative it has to be bigger than us it's going to have to take all of us as I got to coopetition. We're going to have to look to your left, look to your right in, in your room. Those are your teammates in this journey. And it's not intuitive. It's not taught at business school. It's not taught in your first day of employee orientation to sit there calmly like you guys are on stage and just go, well, that's my competitor. That's my competitor. And yet it's not about where we compete. It's about where we can agree. And so where we can agree, if you think of FedEx, UPS, DHL, where can we agree? We can agree that if we can reduce friction across borders, we win, our customers win, and global trade wins. Now, in that sense, friction is paper, delays, resources, all these things. I mean, we we all saw this. You know, the people on stage right now have a have an inside view of this. Many in the audience may not, but nobody really paid much attention to supply chain until the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, when you couldn't get paper towels, Oh my God! What what what's wrong? What what happened? What why why why? Right from that point of view. Well, all of us on the inside of that have known how fragile that whole thing is for a long time. But we actually think it's going to take uh, multiple people. So we work with U.S. Customs. We work with, uh, you know, I'm on the Standards Council, the bit of Standards Council. Um, I'm the chair of that. But UPS is on that. Salesforce is on that. Delta Airlines is on that. I mean, there's lots of people, including competitors. And so it, it, we believe it's a pro-competitive discussion, not an anti. We're certainly respectful of antitrust laws and anti-competitive behavior, and there's a hard line there. But where can we agree actually opens all of us up. And that's where we've spent most of our time is trying to work with others. That's regulatory. That's other competitors or other companies as well. Awesome. Thanks. I want to let the audience know something. So remember like the toilet paper shortage in the beginning of the pandemic? I was not worried. I actually knew that the, the toilet paper is on its way. There are literally hundreds of factories in the U.S. that crank out toilet paper 24-7. It was when uh, the baby formulas started disappearing off the shelves. That's when I got worried. There are two factories in the entire country. 
that make baby formula. And one of them makes like 98% of all the baby formula out there. So um, yeah, toilet paper, no problem. But more niche products, when they start coming off the shelves, that's when you really got to start like worrying. Like, well, where's, where's the rest going to be coming from? Um, and if, if I can just dovetail on what, what you guys just said, Justin and, and Dale, um, a lot of people don't realize, and, and most of the focus for, for the four of us, and certainly for, for FedEx too, is the full truckload sector inside the transportation industry. Um, in the, the full truckload sector alone in the United States, we're settling about $820 billion a year in commercial paper transactions. Uh, that is a pretty large sandbox. Um, what a lot of people, you know, because we're, we're on the highways, we see the Werners, the, the JB Hunts, the Walmart trucks, we see the big carriers. A lot of people don't realize how fragmented this industry is. We have approximately one million small businesses, small trucking companies. These are all typically one to six truck operations that are managing 90% of the spot freight that moves every day in the United States and Canada. So another way to put that is if, if these small small companies like, like Brandon's disappeared tomorrow, every grocery store and retailer would be rationing product within a week. It would look like COVID like 100x in terms of you know shelves being empty. So these companies are not only uh, critical to the transportation industry, they're arguably a national security interest because you know if people can't, can't get to stores and buy goods, uh, the economy comes to a halt pretty quickly. So um, it's, it's an enormous industry, but it's also a very fragmented and, and antiquated industry. Yeah, hugely fragmented. People have no idea. Um, the vast majority of all carriers out there only have one to five trucks. It's like the vast majority of market. Uh, Brandon, the carrier uh, with how many units do you guys have? Uh, we're currently sitting at four right now. Yeah, trying to scale from zero to one is super easy. Anybody can go to a bank, say, I want to buy a truck, here's some money, go, go get your truck, go make money. Scaling from one to five is like climbing Mount Everest. And then scaling from like five trucks, or maybe 10 trucks to 50 trucks, it's like 10 Mount Everest stacked on top of each other. It's really, really hard to scale. So yeah, when Dale was talking about how hard it was for FedEx to scale uh, their product, that's basically the same thing you, you run into uh, with most of the uh, supply chain. So what are you guys working at, uh, at your carrier on the blockchain? So we got actually met Todd at the mats um, this past year. Um, so we started working with him and, and started settling, I believe it was in May, um, which was really good for us because for one, when you when you look at factoring, it's typically, I think, anywhere from like a three to 5% off the top of your, let's, that you're losing. Let's dive into that. So. For those of you who don't know, Matt's is the Mid-America Truck Show. It's a huge trucking convention every year. Largest it's in the world. Largest in the world in yeah. Louisville, Kentucky. Um, do any of you know what factoring is? Nope. Okay. Let's dive into factoring. Tell them what, tell them what you do with factoring. <laughs> so when you get an invoice um, and a load delivered, you can either wait anywhere from 60 to 90 days to get paid, or you can submit it through factoring. Think about that. You do the job, and you don't get paid for 30 to 90 days. We have some factoring companies that are asking for six six month terms right now. Well, we have some shippers at net one eighty. So, yeah, uh, it's really in the industry, it's more like thirty to one eighty, depending on yeah. who you're who you're waiting on, and that you know that's bad in a normal inflationary environment. Imagine in the current inflationary environment, if annualized inflation is six percent, 
and you're waiting six months to get paid directly by a shipper who you delivered a load for, you're losing 3% of gross of your receivable value just waiting to get paid. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, so when you're looking at spending 3%, especially as a small business, um, that's huge because all your expenses are already coming out. So it's, in all reality, it's 3% of your true profit. It's just taking it out of your pocket. Um, so when hearing Todd and their presentation and in the process that they go through, um, it's a super easy process, um, very simple, and it doesn't cost 3%. Yeah, much much of the uh, the way that like financing and transactions are done in trucking right now is still stuck in the 1980s. Like it's lots of paper, lots of faxes, lots of waiting. You know, there's absolutely no reason for things to be taking this long. It's just that's how it's been for you know the last hundred years. So they're still kind of stuck in their ways. So I, I, I see this technology being very transformative in streamlining proce uh, payments and processes. Um, Mike, you were an owner operator for a bit. Um, you know, you weren't using any blockchain tools at the time, but you could probably dive more into like how factoring was, you know, a pain as a driver. Well, yeah, so the biggest thing with me with factoring is, is it was a, it had everything to do with how I took my business when I started it. So factoring is a, is a known cost that's gonna go into it. So you kind of have an option when you buy a truck. You can either buy a truck or several, and you can get your own USDOT number, and start what's called you know, your authority, your motor carrier authority to legally haul freight throughout the United States. If you don't do that, you can lease on to a carrier as a contractor, essentially uh, like the, a 1099 model, similar to what like a tattoo artist or, or barbers do, how they pay for a chair, same kind of concept. You can have the truck be under another company's DOT number, you're under their insurance, and then you can kind of split the uh, the gross of what the loads you haul like you'll do like an 80 20 split and so since i knew what it took to start you know your own authority with factoring i decided to be a contractor for a company who didn't deal with factoring companies like when i was on with uh, when i was leased on with warren transport they're so well funded as a carrier with so much capacity i would get paid within 24 hours of delivering a load they would give me that invoice but in, on a fa on a factoring base you're paying you know, a percentage on top of that, you're paying 3% gross to that load to just get paid immediately. So that went into why I started, you know, my business the way I did, because it was something I wanted to completely avoid and try to cash flow myself ahead of doing if I was to get my own authority. When you say 3%, like throw me an actual concrete number, like what, what would typically, what would be like a number that came out of a load at 3%? Well, I mean, <clears throat> The lowest you can get of factoring is probably from Truck Smarter. I think I believe at two or two and a half. Uh, but like if you're if you're hauling a load for two thousand dollars, if you're hauling a load for two thousand dollars, you know three percent of that is automatically, you know, skim, skimmed right off the top. I'll, I'll put some some numbers on it. So this is this is kind of where things get tricky in the industry because, especially in the the current interest rate environment, three percent doesn't sound that bad, but it's it's three percent of gross. So. When you do the math on this stuff, um, and, and let me back up for just a second. The one million small trucking companies that I was talking about earlier that are managing 90% of the full truckload spot freight in the country, they're all factoring. They have to factor. They can't wait 30 days to get paid. They can't wait 120 days to get paid. It's about $1,600 in diesel to fill up a truck, right? You deliver a load, you need to get your cash. 
you need to run your business. And it's only going up. Diesel's, diesel's going right. to rise again. That's right. So all of these companies are forced to factor because they can't wait to get paid directly by shippers. And now we, we also have what are called brokerages or 3PLs or 4PLs that work in the supply chain, right? They, um, they're kind of like the interconnectivity on a lot of the loads that move. 65% of the factoring, or excuse me, of the brokerages, the 3PLs and 4PLs in the United States are also now factoring 100% of their receivables. So, but, but for a single owner operator, what this really looks like when you break down the math is 3% of gross is often uh, somewhere between a 25 and a 35% annualized interest rate. Okay, that is a hard money loan. That's a payday loan, okay? The industry-wide default rate on full truckload paper in the United States aggregate is 1.4%. So this is highly liquid commercial paper, extremely low default risk, and we are charging these truck drivers 25 to 35% annualized interest rates to take out loans to get their own paychecks. That's how the system works right now. That's a real problem that, that blockchain can solve. Um, so really, and just to kind of take one more, I, I guess just to dive one layer deeper into the onion, we all kind of now understand that inflation is a silent tax right? Because it, it taxes everything that we do. It taxes everything in commerce. I think a lot of people maybe didn't even really understand inflation until a year and a half or two years ago. Most of the people at this conference have been talking about inflation for a long time. Um, but we like to refer to, to, to the factoring cost as a second silent tax on the supply chain. Because if these, if these carriers are forced to endure these high trade finance costs, they have to absorb them, right? That means they have to artificially increase freight rates, which ultimately makes the costs of goods more expensive, which means really at the end of the day, all of us are subsidizing these costs. When we go to the grocery store, when we go to a retail location, when we buy 72% of the goods that, that move on trucks. So this really is a, it's a macro problem, but um, the good thing is it's, it's a problem that, that blockchain and digital assets can and, and has solved. Can I jump in for just a second? Yeah, go ahead. So let me, let me follow that point if I could. That was one of the early um, kind of aha moments for me back in 2017, 20, or probably or so. Um, it was not the use case that we had it was, it was the point that was just now made, which is when we think of a, when in our case, when we think of a global movement, I, I may order something online and they may not even realize that it's from some other country. I'm just ordering it, right? It could be on Etsy. It could be on anything. Um, but um, there are a number of people that sit between supply and demand, right? So Todd and I are supply and demand and the rest of you are providing uh, layers uh, call it a middleman, call it other services. There's lots of things that you can call it from that point of view. But, um, you know, if, if Todd needs a ride and I've got a car, then maybe Uber or Lyft or some other ride-sharing app or whatever might be a better model than a taxi model. We can argue that point. doesn't matter. I'm just using it as an example. However, um, uh, th that person sits between Todd and Dale and carves off some percentage, up to 30%, just to simply play matchmaker, basically to introduce us for a price. So peer-to-peer -peer technology like blockchain and Web3, to Todd's point, 
And to this example, my aha moment was, if Todd and I can find each other and do so in a trusted environment, we may no longer need that same structure of parties that sits between us. And so he's referring to that specifically in payment, in a payment sense. So rather than a net 15, net 30, or all the way up to 180, um, smart contracts, for example, when he and I can agree that if I deliver it on time, if I keep it at the right temperature, the right humidity, whatever the case may be, then he will pay me, changes from a net 30 all the way up to 180 to essentially could be a net zero or a net one. It, it's an auto, it's, an, it's a micro payment, it's an instant payment. And so this technology, this peer-to-peer -peer technology, um, you know, uh, if you are in a middleman scenario, my my advice has been, and it's not preachy, it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of thought-provoking. Let's all look ourselves in the mirror and say, what value do we provide? Because, because if two people, if supply and demand can find each other without me in the middle of that introducing them, that's going to look very different moving forward. And so he's referring to that in a financial uh, sense, in a payment sense, whatever the case may be. My first aha moment was actually the movement sense where a supply and demand are separated by an ocean and a border or maybe both. And there's a broker and a forwarder and a brother-in-law and I know some lady and there's all these people that sit between Todd and Dale and in a peer-to-peer -peer world where we can get trusted data, that's going to look very different. If I, if, I, if I wave my magic wand and say, let's go out on the horizon 10 years or more, it's going to look very different because Todd's going to be able to provide his digital information to U.S. Customs directly. Right. And they will now know that Todd is a, a trusted shipper and that's the happy path. Keep his product moving. They may not know Dale. They haven't shipped with Dale before. They may slow that one down. But they found that out loud and clear during the pandemic as well, where they had a bunch of people sitting about as close as you are clearing packages at global hubs. Right. And they aren't going to be able to do that either. So this whole the digitization of this is where is where Todd started. And I, I just wanted to add my aha moment to that as well. And the logic is still there in a number of other areas. These are all just processes that are going to be disrupted. And you can either disrupt or be disrupted uh, as this continues to mature. Totally agree. Yeah, I guess steamrolled. Um, since we're talking about the middlemen operators in this uh, whole organization, uh, people don't also realize that there's a whole shadowy uh, How can I explain to this audience? There's a, so we have brokers and they broker the loads between shippers and carriers. Then there are middle middlemen called double brokers who basically will take a load off from a shipper, repackage it, and then sell it for a cheaper price to another carrier and then pocket the difference. Um, one thing that is really exciting about blockchain technology is the whole transparency behind it. Um, Brandon or Todd, do you guys want to talk about the, how this could help combat double brokering? Yeah, I mean. Or, actually, have you, have you ever been double brokered yourself? Unfortunately, we've had, tw I think, twice. Um, and if you deliver a load on a double broker, you, you, you don't get paid. Um, so you're just out that money, um, whether it's you know $800, $1,200, whatever it is. It, it, it's it just can, gone. It, it can come in, come in more, many forms, anything from like identity theft to um, you know, just straight-up fraud. Yeah, and I, I think the most common example that we see is uh, in, in, in a double broker, uh, it's – it's almost exclusively a bad actor, right? It's somebody that is ultimately accepting payment for delivering the load and stiffing the trucking company that actually picked up the freight and delivered the freight. So there, there is some, uh, there's some tech in the industry that's, that's emerging. 
um, to kind of help mitigate a lot of the the fraud and malfeasance. Um, I, I I've heard different figures. So so again, in the the full truckload sector in the United States, it's about eight hundred billion dollars a year of transactional activity. I've heard that double brokering like fraud is anywhere between three hundred million and a billion dollars a year. But that's still a huge number, right? There's a lot of industries that you know aren't worth. 300 million to to a billion dollars. So there's a lot of rampant fraud and um, blockchain doesn't uh, completely eliminate the problem, but it gives us another layer of security that does not exist in the current incumbent models of settling freight invoices. Because if you're settling a carrier in a digital asset, in the case of Truckcoin Swap, we're, we're settling carriers with an Ethereum token, right? An ERC-20 token. Before we directly deposit um, digital assets into a business wallet of any trucking company or user that we're working with, uh, we're able to screen that wallet. Now, this is this is after, of course, we've gone through a, 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 a KYC AML process, right? But before somebody, before a human being actually directly deposits those digital assets into a wallet we can screen that wallet and make sure that we're not settling a carrier that's based in Illinois whose wallet IPs to Albania, right? Because if, if we see something like that, <clears throat> it's an immediate red flag before the settlement process perfects. The model that we have right now, everybody is, is moving uh, value, of course, through US dollars, through fiat currencies on conventional banking rails. And a lot of this stuff doesn't get caught. And ultimately, and, and now double brokers are usually always caught at some point because the industry catches on that the MC is fraudulent and bad, but it typically takes about 30 to 60 days. And if you know what you're doing, you can steal a lot of freight, not, not actual freight, but like the, the payable that corresponds to the freight. You can abscond with, with a lot of cash in 30 to 60 days before people catch on. But blockchain does add an additional layer of security that can mitigate some of this stuff. It's, it's literally the worst game of whack-a-mole right yeah. now. As soon as you yeah. catch a guy, fine, he's out, but then two of his cousins pop up you know, the next day and keep skimming. Many of them are in Elk Grove Village right now. <laughs> double, double, brokering, double brokering freight. We, yeah. love, we love you, Chicago. Uh, let's see, what, what can we talk about next here? So we did the booking. Uh Fuel cards. So lots of companies out there offering fuel cards, fuel discount programs. Um, what are you guys uh, doing in that space? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, and Mike and Brandon, feel free to, to jump in on this and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but the, the fuel card industry and the transportation uh, industry uh, is worth in, in North America is is worth about a trillion dollars unto itself and industry standard fuel card rates are typically in the ballpark of five percent So again now I'm not only losing three to six percent to a factoring company But I'm losing five percent every time I go spend sixteen hundred dollars to, to fill up my my truck with diesel So one of the things that truck coin swap has been talking to some of the DEXs and centralized exchanges about is creating what we're calling a digital asset fuel card. Now, many of you know that that product already exists, right? If you have a Coinbase wallet, they'll send you a card that's attached to your wallet that you can use like a Visa or a MasterCard, and you can literally spend Bitcoin or ETH or USDC or Tether directly off that card at just about any retail location. Now, Coinbase is gonna charge you a small fee to basically move your digital assets in, into US dollars for those transactions, 
but it's significantly less than 5%. So one cool thing that we're working on, and, and this isn't theory, I, I think some of the most fascinating things to me are we're going to see a lot of this stuff next year, right? This isn't like a three to five year roadmap. This is like, we're going to see these products next year is we're going to see some of the exchanges have uh, digital asset fuel cards where these trucking companies, um, if they're, if they've got ETH in their business wallet or they have TCS token or they have Bitcoin, or maybe they've got a stable coin, they can literally go to the pump they can buy their diesel using that, uh, that digital asset fuel card. And they can also pay for other operating expenses. And Mike, you can speak to this too. A lot of operating costs associated with, with running a truck. Um, and I think you know, being able to disintermediate another, disintermediate another large cost in trucking and in the supply chain is just, you know, it kind of compounds the, the value proposition and the, the convergence that I think these two industries are, are, are now making. Yeah, I think that the true use of this, of this token, in a sense, so when, you, when you're going to, because I would actually get my oil changes and PMs done right at a Loves, sometimes a TA, right at a truck stop where I'm sleeping because it's convenient. PM is preventative maintenance. Yeah, preventative maintenance. Um, the reason being because if I waited to go home to the dealership, you have to make appointments. So getting them done on the road is the quickest because I would be out weeks at a time. So if you're, just, if you're now streamlining that process of you're purchasing fuel via the, use of your, via the use of your token, and then you're parking and then getting yourself set up for an oil change and preventative maintenance, and then it's going through that way, it's, it's totally streamlining your whole process all, all across the maintenance side. When, you're going, when it's that fluid of emotion, when even if the technology presents itself before you get to the truck stop, you're booked for an appointment for a PM, you know you're going for fuel. So the payment can already either be done or on, or on par to be completed. So that way there's almost, no, there's almost no even signatures or whatever required by the time your truck's getting done with that oil change. But the maintenance costs, the fuel maintenance is like what can make or break uh, a business in this industry. That's, what's, you know, that's what can get run away from you. And what we're dealing with now with inflation is the price of labor. And part scarcities are still up, so people are paying for you know astronomical prices for it with rates that are you know extremely low. And so any cost savings when in regards to factoring or fuel on the expenses of fuel with what they're doing on fuel cards is just another thing that's going to help keep keep a truck rolling, keep a guy in business. Because yeah, those maintenance costs they they stack up and up. Yeah, your your choices right now are either you, you buy a brand new truck that's fuel efficient but a real pain in the neck to keep maintain your parts availability. It's pretty short right now. Or you buy an older truck with less stringent fuel um, emission standards, but they're much e much easier to maintain. Uh, what kind of equipment are you guys running over at your carrier? We actually uh, we lease on guys, so all of the owner operators we have they have their own equipment. Um, so we don't really have the maintenance costs. But I do know when it comes to our owner operators, we've had a few of them that have been out for two three weeks at a time due to maintenance issues. So I know it's a it is a big issue. And just, just to, since we do have a digital asset blockchain crowd here, I just kind of want to zoom out a little bit. So preventative maintenance and maintenance aside, um, by industry averages, every over-the-road truck in the United States is generating about $250,000 a year in revenue, gro gross revenue, right, from picking up and delivering freight. 
based on the industry averages, every truck, over-the-road truck, is consuming about $65,000 a year in fuel costs. So every truck that is on the road, um, outside of preventative maintenance and other operational costs, is worth about $320,000 a year in, in gross transactional volume. Imagine a world where um, all of that transactional volume and revenue is unbanked, and it's all moving through centralized and decentralized exchanges. It's all moving through a token. Imagine the, the value that that represents to the blockchain and digital asset industry, right? I don't know what the customer acquisition cost is for Coinbase or Kraken or a lot of these folks, but, you know, I've... I, I was at the permissionless conference earlier this week, and you know one of the common refrains is, "Well, you know, we onboard a new customer, they buy fifteen hundred dollars of Bitcoin, and they disappear for eighteen months." Right? But imagine if we actually have real American businesses doing real work, right? Who are all of a sudden moving three hundred thousand dollars plus in transactional volume for every truck into Web three into digital assets, into blockchain. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's a magnanimous proposition, I think, for, for both industries. Yeah. Can I jump in for just a second? I was just about to introduce, bring in. Go on, yeah. Sorry, let me, let, me, let me follow back on to the preventive maintenance piece. Uh, it's a great example as well. Again, for the audience, uh, we're talking, you know, uh, Todd's talking about payments and, and some of the financial costs and others as well. All those are important, so I'm going to be kind of agnostic to that. Again, I, my brain connects dots, so I'm thinking in terms, broader terms in terms of processes as well. So finance is a fantastic example for this, and payments, um, movement, paper, there's lots and lots of those things. But back to the preventive maintenance example and the example of while I'm at Love's, while I'm off-duty, while I'm sleeping, I can do the following things from that point of view. Uh, I would say when, not if, but when... You know, we are, we are approaching a point, uh, and I've visited multiple truck manufacturers at this point. They're in this space as well. So as the new trucks come out, that truck itself will be a blockchain node. And when you start thinking of that, what you're driving is essentially data points rolling down the road. Certainly, there's a human behind the wheel. There's all these components to it from that point of view. But in terms of how do you make that more efficient... Uh, yes, you can sleep while they do the PM or or do it at Love's rather than separately at a dealer. Absolutely, that's an efficiency. That's that's a that, that's a step forward. But once we also start adding sensors to these key components, that blockchain node and those sensors are going to be talking. And so when you're driving down the road, if something happens during that period of time, you're going to also know that something's going on with some potentially warranted part, and that kind of communication can it can can get ahead of you as well, which is I've got a problem going on. How can I get in? Okay, I'm going to be there 24 hours from now. Okay, as it turns out, there's an appointment available. I can do that. I mean, all this is going to start connecting from that point of view. And then, of course, it's also going to connect back into the warranty for the part, right? The, the ability to manage, whether that's on an individual truck basis or a four-truck basis or a fleet like FedEx, um, that's that's real money, right? To be able to manage the warranty piece and all the rest of those things. So again, I am not an expert in this area. I've spent most of my career in the LTL industry. So uh, for Todd and the others are referring to the truckload industry, I've certainly been around it my entire career. But um, 
this is just data. This data that we're talking about here that's going to be digitized, what can we do with that and how can we make it much more efficient is huge. And it's in almost every direction you can look in terms of the impact of it um, in, a, in an industry such as this. Well, that's interesting you came from LTL. How has is, how is the uh, bankruptcy of Yellow uh, been affecting you guys? I'm not in that side of things. I've okay. spent many years. I uh, so I you know it's um, I, I, I'm 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 arm's length away from that at this point in time. So for for those of you, in the I'll audience, let you guys I'll let you guys react to that. Yeah, for those of you in the audience, LTO is less than truckload. So usually truck goes out, picks up a pallet or two, goes to another stop, picks up another pallet or two, and they go back to a centralized warehouse where those loads are rearranged and then put on a truck going off to whatever state they're going to. The third largest trucking company in that space, Yellow Corp, just went bankrupt uh, in the month of August. That was the largest bankruptcy in trucking history so far. Uh, 22,000 drivers, uh, 30,000 employees total, uh, all lost their jobs uh, basically within the span of a weekend. Yeah, they were also a 100-year-old uh, a company. Yes. And sadly, uh, I believe, I mean, the, the bankruptcy isn't resolved yet, but uh, believe they defaulted on an $800 million taxpayer subsidized loan from from the federal government. So this is kind of an important point too, and you know, we don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but uh, I think a lot of people in the trucking industry, in the trucking sector would argue that we are in the worst market uh, since the Great Recession in terms of it being uh, just a very, very soft market and oversupply of capacity. And a lot of the reasons for that, um, in, in my opinion, are related to, uh, you know, we had uh, demand suppressed during COVID, and then we had this huge, massive uplift in demand, and what goes up must come down. And, and any time demand goes up in the supply chain, specifically in full truckload, of course, everybody sees the rates go up, so people are bringing on more trucks, bringing on more drivers, but... Uh, this we're, we're kind of at the bottom of the current cycle. I think freight waves just called the bottom of the yes. cycle, which is good. Uh, not knock on wood. Uh, but um, when it comes to when it comes to new tech and new innovation, sometimes financial hardship softens the adoption curve a little bit too, right? So that's why I think um, not only is uh, is 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 transportation a a great place to to build innovative blockchain technologies. But there's financial hardship right now, too. So anything that uh, companies in our industry can do to mitigate costs, um, to, to, to make you know, payments more efficient, um, it's, it's more valuable right now than you know, it has probably been in the transportation industry in the last decade. Yeah, trucking goes through cycles, boom-bust cycles, usually about 11 years. And right now, we're in one of the worst boom, worst bust cycles we've ever seen. COVID... Basically, anybody with a pulse could have gone out and bought a truck and just ran freight and made, you know, a lot six figures <laughs> easily. So there was there was a, a massive gold rush uh, in 2020 where everybody and their cousins went out and bought trucks and they were making money hand over fist. Well, like Todd was saying, that was when demand spiked, demand crashed, freight rates crashed, and now everybody who bought all that expensive inflated equipment. They're still making those payments on a truck that probably cost them two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that 
six months prior probably cost 130000 which now today, six months later, is maybe worth 180. So a lot of guys and gals are upside down on the truck payments right now. I think, for, I think for a while, and you guys can speak to this, you like couldn't even buy a new trailer, right? Yeah. Because they were so far in backlogged yeah, because of the demand. People were selling their spot in line. Like if you had a, if you had a work order in for, for a new trailer from like Great Dane or Wabash, you know, just south of here, um, and it was like a two-year lead time, and you decided, okay, I can rent a trailer somewhere else, or I got a buddy who's got a hookup for one, you would just sell your spot to somebody and then people were cutting the lines same with same with trucks too i know i know um uh, i think it was peterbilt uh, a lot of guys we were talking to that were trying to buy the new peterbilts and they were like i can't i can't wait so they were selling their trucks because you know the people were people were going bust before they had the, the chance to even buy yeah. buy new equipment yeah. um but yeah I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that technology like this can help uh, mitigate uh, boom bust cycles obviously nothing can ever prevent um you know, if people stop buying stuff, you know, that's the demand's going to crash no matter what. But to, to try and mitigate the extremities of, you know, extreme spike up and extreme spike down, keep it more in the middle, that would be that would be incredible. Yeah. How, how was uh, COVID for you guys? We actually got started right at the tail end of it. So we probably oh. entered in when it was starting to go down. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, it can only go up from here, right? That, that is, yeah. okay, so that, that is a really good point. If you are a carrier in this market and you're able to survive the next six months, you're pretty much set up for the next upswing cycle. So some, some good news there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dale, I'm sorry. We didn't talk too much about double brokering with FedEx. I know you guys, you, FedEx is huge. Um, do you know anything about like, what you guys are dealing with? Over there, we don't have a we don't have a truckload division, and so I'm actually learning the double brokering reference. I get it. I understand what you guys are talking about. Uh, it kind of sounded like somebody selling their spot in line sounds like a double broker kind of a thing as well. But um, no, I, I I'm deferring to the expertise there on the stage in terms of that. Okay, well, yeah, because you know FedEx is, is pretty large, so you guys you guys don't even use factoring much, right? I think it's a different world from that point of view. Like I said, we're not in the, we, we have LTL, obviously FedEx freight and package ground and, and uh, you know, uh, expresses all around the world at this point in time. So, uh, but we do not have a truckload division. So. Uh, what else we got here? So what do you guys think this is going to be looking like in uh, the next five years? This is a young crowd. Everyone's really excited. I, I love the energy here. Um, but mo most of like the conversations I'm eavesdropping on, none of it none of it sounds like it's taking place in the real world. A lot of it is like online stuff or it's art projects. You know, fine, it's fun stuff. But these these is this is like real world. You're, you're moving a, a product from one end of the globe to the other. So you know what, what you guys are working on here is actually going to be changing the world going forward. How do you how do you see that uh, looking like in a couple of years? I guess Dale, you can go first with that. Yeah, um, I'm probably going to make your head hurt with this answer, but um, um, the way I think of it is uh, a 10-year-old today. So it's a young crowd, but it's not a 10-year-old crowd, right? So you've got, so the crowd, everybody has a 10-year-old in their life, their son, their daughter, their granddaughter, their neighbor, whatever the case may be, niece, nephew, whatever the case may be. I think a 10-year-old today as an adult is going to want to know where the coffee bean came from and the cup of coffee they're drinking. I think they're going to want to know where the denim that they're wearing was purchased. Is it sustainable? Um, I think a lot of those things. I think I think this technology that we're talking about is actually simply going to be a layer under everything. 
And I don't think we're going to use the B word blockchain or Web3. I think it's just going to be there. I don't know all the layers in my phone. I just know how to work, how to use my phone. And so I, my sense is if you think of, you know, one of the slides that I would show if I were there showing slides um, actually shows a, a FedEx box on one side of a slide. Um, and uh, I quote our founder from 1978 which nobody was talking about this in 1978, which is the information about the package is as important as the package itself. Nobody was thinking that in 1978, I assure you. And I put it side by side with essentially a digital twin, a digitized, a blockchain tokenized digital twin of a package. And so for the audience today, I would tell you that if you think of a physical package moving within the FedEx system and we move tens of millions a day, um, yes, of course, we're still going to be moving that package. So the first 50 years of FedEx was basically moving those packages with, with some analytics, right, with some data around it. But it was, you know, comparatively, they were kind of spreadsheets, uh, you know, since the early 80s when he started tracking the packages. The next 50 years is going to still move physical packages, but the digitized version of that package um, you know, we think of ourselves essentially at this intersection of the physical and digital world. And if you can think of a, a network with tens of millions of packages or any other network, any of the truckloads that we're talking about, anything else digitized, now we get to a whole different world. And so where you want to plug in, I think, is this digitization. What, what might that look like? And whether that takes you down the AI side of things, which is... I can use the exhaust of that data, that blockchain data or that sensor data to come up with predictive and prescriptive models, predictive what will happen, prescriptive how can we make it happen. That's where a lot of companies are going. We've talked about how archaic this industry is, and it is. Uh, the LTL industry, I can speak to that. They were referring to yellow. Uh, most of that started in the late 1920s. Uh, they're still using pricing models from that same time frame that they got from the railroads. If you can think of a digitized world, whether that is a, a, a digital history or a unique digital fingerprint of the denim that you buy or the product that is moving or the, or the network within FedEx, that's where this is going. So if you want to find a place to plug into that, there's a lot of opportunity for that because I believe that 10-year-old is going to want to have an authentic, trusted layer of data underneath everything, whether that's the denim, whether that's the coffee bean, whether that's a diamond or a, or a, a retail good that they buy or whatever the case may be. I, and I'll finish with one other point. My sense is with all of the uh, environmental, social, and governance, ESG discussions, where a lot of people right now are saying we're going to be carbon neutral or whatever their, whatever their statements are, kind of aspirational statements by fill in the blanks, 19, you know, 2040 or 2050 or whatever date they're putting in there. My sense is that that blockchain is going to be the foundational layer under all of that. So that gets you to sustainable jet fuel and other types of procurement items where I know I'm buying it. It's a Todd original and Todd can prove it. Right. And I know exactly where it came from. And therefore, that's going to get you from subjective data to objective data. My sense is that same 10 year old is going to be having a conversation with their friend and it's going to get to a personal sustainability score as well, which is, hey, Todd, what's your number? Well, my score is an 82. What's yours, Dale? It's a 68. Wait a second, Todd. Who are you buying from? Because I want to buy from them. I want to drive my sustainability score up. And I think that kind of um, consumer pressure is going to drive all kinds of things. But 
broadly speaking, I think it's the digitization of this, this trusted digital twin of almost everything, all the way from sustainable jet fuel to the product that are rolling down the road in these truckloads to uh, the blockchain node that is a big tractor pulling those things down the road. Um, and so if you want to lock in on that, hopefully something in that little sermonette I just gave, sorry for the length of that, uh, maybe resonates with you. That's where I think this is going to go. And I think there's room for all of you. We need your help to help update this this archaic global supply chain that we have. And unfortunately, we all had a front row seat to what that looked like during the pandemic. Yeah, where that resonates with me is like, um, whether through, you know, a pair of AR goggles or an app on your phone via the camera, walking into a grocery store and like just being able to point your camera or whatever at an item and it tells you literally everything about it would be amazing. There's just not, not like, you can only print so much information on the package of a, of a Apple or, you know, like, so I have a three-year-old right now and, you know, buying food for him in, in a way that like I feel comfortable with, like, you pick up a, a pack of like Del Monte, I'm not picking on them, but just using them as an example, but you pick up a pack of like Del Monte processed fruit and it'll say uh, product of Argentina, but processed in China. So because of like labor costs and whatever, they literally picked it in Argentina, put it on a shipping container, sent it to China where it was like chopped up and then put on another shipping container and brought back over here. Like, I think I would leave that product on the shelf and go with something that says, hey, it was grown here in the state of New Jersey. <laughs> And and I'll I'll take a shot at uh, at at the question, Justin. Like, uh, what does the world look like in three to five years in the transportation industry as it converges with with blockchain? Um, I'm I'm going to call my shot. I I think that uh, I think that conventional trade finance and factoring is is dead in three to five years. I think uh, businesses are no longer going to accept uh, three to six percent costs. On their invoices, I, I think that um, you know they're just—they're not going to tolerate having to sign up with a factoring company, collateralizing every single business asset that they have when when that commercial paper has a 1.4 percent aggregate default rate, and they're no longer going to accept those costs uh, when they can get zero to to one to one and a half percent. You know, in this soft market, what did we see from shippers? They they could have said you know what we're gonna we're gonna make our our pay terms tighter we're gonna make them quicker. They did the exact opposite. They pushed their pay terms out. And people don't believe me when I mean I I worked with several Fortune 50 sh- shippers. These are Fortune 50 companies in the United States who are on net 180 pay terms, right? Um, they're not going to change that model. So it's incumbent on uh, on us in in the blockchain and Web3 industry to create solutions uh, to generate more efficiency and generate lesser costs and downward pressure on the supply chain. And uh, that's that's what Truck Coin Swap is doing. I think three to five years from now, uh, we're going to have a lot of other companies in this space doing that type of thing uh, because I think small businesses and consumers three to five years from now just are not going to tolerate those kinds of costs anymore. What do you see this looking like in five years? Are you going to get cyber bullied for having a low ESG score? <laughs> Me, hopefully not. But th- this is this is clearly the logical path forward. And if I can, and if I can make one thing clear to you know the audience and people listening, people in blockchain, probably there's probably terms we've used up here. There's stuff we're talking about in transportation. You might not understand when we keep saying MC, we're referring to motor carriers. So like people in the blockchain space don't know a lot about what's going on in supply chain. People, and then simult- simultaneously, 
people who work in transportation probably don't know a lot about this, what goes on in this space. You know, they're not attending Chicago ETH conferences. They're probably not going to, and I'm talking specifically truck drivers and the owners of small motor carriers. They don't know a lot about this stuff. They're kind of, you know, it's just what they see online. Now, with both of these people, you know, not knowing too much about the other, it's a perfect unifier to, to kind of bring them together to really put this, put this out on Main Street. I can't emphasize enough how valuable this truly is to carriers, but at the same time, the value it's going to give to this technology. Everybody in this room and everybody who's attended this conference believes in blockchain, wants this technology to take off. This is the probably the fastest and most efficient way it can actually get there because it solves a real problem that's happening right now that'll, that's putting people out of business, deters people from going into business, so it becomes a barrier of entry. And it's just it's a complete usury on American small businesses who are delivering your food. You know, everything, all the concrete in this building, all the steel, everything, you know, came here via, via a truck and probably small carriers who had to, you know, pay the you know, pay the mob, essentially, just to be able to get their own paychecks. And for that, for, for this technology to put that back in carriers' wallets, is, is back in carriers' pockets, is the best way to get them, people who aren't keen on this technology, being like, hey, we need to know more about blockchain, because that's the toughest sell, is when you go out on the street and you try to talk about this stuff, or you're at the bar, wherever you might be, people always, like, always think about the negatives that you hear about in the news, and this guy went out of business, and this guy. But when... The story when the narrative changes to, oh my God, I just you know my friend owns a trucking company and you know he was able to give all his drivers raises because he's not paying so much in in you know fees or whatever he's paying gets the conversation changing and that's how I really think that the public trust and just the true value of blockchain is gonna is gonna mainstream itself because I'm I'm a, I'm I'm in agreement with Todd within the next three to five years people are eventually the market will get fed up to the point and then they're gonna look and then we're gonna be there. But um, it could be a smoother and quicker transition, you know, the more and more we keep having these conversations. And, you know, we're, the thing is, what's most important is it's already happening. We're already doing this. We're already settling invoices on the blockchain. Like, this isn't, uh, you know, we're not just talking about theory. We're talking about something that's currently ongoing that we're doing with motor carriers that's saving them money. And it's just, it's, it's on the world to, you know, pay attention to it. And just, if I can throw, Brandon, really quick, like, what, uh, if, if you're able to recapture somewhere in the ballpark of ten to $20,000 a year in net revenue on every truck by not having to, to factor invoices and pay banks and intermediaries. What, what does that do for you in terms of growth and opportunity and profitability? I mean, I think when you're looking at owner-operators, like, like Mike said, you, you offer them a split, so they're getting 80% of the gross of their truck. If you're saving that you know, 3 to 6%, you can turn that over to the driver as well. So instead of only getting 80, they can get up, you know, 85, 86%. Um, so it's a huge, huge growth opportunity in that area as well. Yeah, and help, helps you with retention. Yeah. Retention is... Yeah, is, let me jump in if I... Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, retention is, just, is insane in the trucking industry. So I don't know if you wanted to jump in on that. Yeah, actually, I was going to play professor here for just a second. So in terms of people who are wanting to learn more about it, there's a couple of things I would offer. You got the, and, and the panel may offer things as well. Uh, the first block, the first blockchain uh, book that worked for me. I'm on the business and strategy side. I'm on the technical side, so I'm not the guy that's going to explain to you how to code this stuff or what it is. But the first uh, book that I that really resonated with me, and it's not a 
and it's not an advertisement, but it's Blockchain Revolution by Don and Alex Tapscott. So uh, that's actually use cases. It walks you through some of the basics of this, and you can apply it to some of the examples that are being covered on the stage here. Um, Alex Tapscott has a brand new book that's just out. It's called Web3. Those are the kinds of things that if you want to learn more about this in kind of a broad, non-coding way, there's and, and there's other books out there as well. Again, these guys may have other suggestions, but um, I, would, I would say that if you're in this audience, you've got some reason to do that. Be as comfortable, be as familiar as you can. And so there are materials out there that would be helpful for you so that some of the references that are being made, some of the kind of the language and the examples that we're using make more sense. You can, you can apply those. You can look yourself in the mirror at that point and go, wow, okay, now I understand why in my space, why what those guys were talking about was important. But there are books out there. I don't know if you guys have any others that you would suggest at that point. But um, again, uh, that, that would give you something to follow up if you um, have a desire to do so. That's actually a great idea for a book is Supply Jamie's Blockchain. You know, because again, you could be talking past each other with all these different references, you know, MC, you know, um, brokering, factoring, blah, blah. Like people, people in blockchain space might not know these terms. People in those spaces might not know blockchain terms. So somebody coming up with a book that could merge the two, that would be, that'd be, that'd be nice. Forward by Mike Lombard. <laughs> <laughs> It'd just be six pages ranting against the ATA, the American Trucking Association. I'd read that book. <laughs> That'd be good. Um, Oh, shoot, I'm having a brain fart here. I'd, I'd, uh, I, yeah, I will say one last thing because you do mention the ATA. The ATA is the American Trucking Association. Again, what this technology does and its true Main Street purpose aids small businesses. You know, gentlemen, you know, like this on the show, even media outsources like Freight Waves. Uh, TCS is a small business in itself. It's not, you know, a major, a major retailer or anything like that. And you know the the big the large companies and the large carriers out there the Warners the Shiners the ones you read their name on the highways they're not going to see any benefit from this and but we all know that when small business in this country thrives the country itself is going to thrive and just it making small businesses more powerful when it comes to what goes on in Washington when it comes to driver advocacy regulations that are put on drivers with with, with whatever that might look like the people who have the most buying power are members of the American Trucking Association, which are these large retail carriers. Reason being, small businesses don't have the resources enough to pool themselves with organizations like OIDA, the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association. They have members, yes, but they, these small businesses, they don't have enough to collectively use their voices in DC uh, to advocate for things that, you know, with it, to the FMCSA, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, about certain regulations they're passed. Basically, the, you know, the ATA will speak to their politicians, and then those politicians will go to the FMCSA, and then that's how regulations go out. Those regulations will favor large carriers and have always hurt small businesses. That's what's been happening basically since 1980, and it's been a slow, and it's been a slow downhill ever since. So the more, you know, this once again gives, you know, small businesses more power now and finally a leg to stand on to where they're able to advocate for themselves more you know where 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 it counts because these people are nobody gets into business because they just want to have a job for the next three years hopefully it's something they're trying to scale grow uh, you know pass on to their families and if they have more you know financial support to be able to then go to their local state federal leaders to make sure that that way the regulations in their industry aren't hurting them it's that's also really huge too so that's a whole other aspect what it does is it, it gives 
with it giving you more financial stability, it gives you more, you know, it, it gives you a lot more oversight on what you can do with your time to be able to make sure your business isn't being, you know, effectively hurt by possible regulations you can't see coming. Yeah, I'll give you a concrete example of that. So, like, the next big battle in D.C. with trucking is going to be over speed limiters. Um, you know, like, when you're on the highway and there's two semis trying to pass each other and it takes forever for one to pass and you finally get around it. Um, bureaucrats in D.C. seem to think that that's amazing and should be it should be institute, should be put in place nationwide. They want every single truck on the interstate to be stuck in that same exact situation. Um, clearly, these people don't drive to work every day. Right. <laughs> um, but there's other, so there's organizations that are advocates for truck carriers like like OIDA that are against uh, legislation like that. But then the larger lobbying firms like the American Trucking Association that are backed by the larger companies, they've got the larger war chest. So they're the ones that are going to get speed limiting probably passed, or hopefully enough people can come together to uh, push back against against that. Mainly because they already limit their trucks. Yes. That's a, they, yeah, they, the, the large carriers already have speed limiters on their trucks. So yep. they're going to say, oh, yes, it's good. It's for safety. We're going to say this is going to save lives when really all it does is it just puts another restriction on other drivers. Because that's the thing. When you work for a small business, that's when you as a driver can possibly make more money uh, as a paycheck or you yourself getting into business yourself. And if you're, and if you're limited on that speed, sometimes that can, in, in, on a, in a world where you are paid by the mile, you're sacrificing, you know, you're, you're, you're adding stress to somebody's job where now they have to choose between time and money, and it just ups the retention. Like, to, to implement speed limiters, it just means more people are going to quit, it's, which is just a backdoor way to keep wages low in the industry. If, if I can add a quick point on, on what Dale said, too. If you're somebody that's in uh, freight tech or fintech or in the transportation industry, and you're, you're looking to find a way to, to engage blockchain and, and Web3 technology, um, I would encourage people to, to, to go read the Bitcoin white paper, right? Go read the Satoshi thesis, because really, if you boil it down, at the end of the day, to me, that thesis says that, you know, we need to focus on leveling the playing field, right? We need to, we need to level the playing field for small businesses. We need to make them more efficient. We need to disintermediate third parties, disintermediate financial waste. Um, the more of that that we can do in the transportation industry, the stronger supply chains are going to be. Um, so there's, there's just some, uh, I think there's just some fantastic reading there for people who are already really dialed into uh, freight tech and, and the transportation industry. I think there's probably a million use cases in that eight-page white paper. You know, we, we kind of forget um, folks that maybe aren't really native digital asset, native crypto, this all started during the Great Recession, right? That's that's when you know the Satoshi paper came out. That's when Bitcoin started, um, and you know maybe the timing of that was coincidental. I don't believe it was. Um, I think you know that was finally you know a, a clear recognizing that a lot of the um, trade finance and financial problems that we have in in all industries throughout the country. Um, are, are antiquated and the playing fields aren't level um, and, and some of it was, was arguably uh, probably corrupt. Um, so I just, uh, I think that there's, there's so many use cases sitting in that white paper and other white papers and I would really encourage folks in transportation to, to take a deep dive. Satoshi, do you Let think me jump in if I could. Sorry, I, on, on the back end of that, I think it's a great point. 
The, I, I don't believe it was coincidental. Um, so back in 07, 08, we had a lot of people uh, that didn't trust big entities, right? For And probably for the right reasons, right? We saw these credit default swaps and all the mortgage issues and all those kinds of things. And on the back end of that, this nondescript, maybe, I don't know, 10 or so page paper just pops up on the internet on Halloween of 2008, just shows up. And it talks about the fact that you don't necessarily need a trusted third party to transact. That's the example that I used earlier, where if Todd and I can find each other and do so in a trusted environment, we may no longer need a trusted third party is what's referred to in the paper. Uh, and, in, and whether you're using that in the, um, uh, in the financial side of things uh, or in the uh, global supply chain side of things or many, many other examples, that, that the, the industries are not the point. The point is, right now, we've built trust manually. We've said Todd can be trusted, others can be trusted if we go through these processes, and it's become very laborious and, and, and maybe necessary uh, until we come up with something better. Well, this is something better, right? And so uh, it, it's a, I agree with him. It's, a, it's an excellent, uh, very short paper. Uh, like I said, it's not even 10 pages or, or give or take, something like that. Uh, but it walks through this whole thing, and in that moment in time, it was, a, I think, a reaction to the um, to the recession and to what happened there, and it really uh, has changed the way we think of so many different things. I also want to go back to a previous point, which is, I know that I'll, I'll let everybody have their own opinion in terms of the, you know, whether that's the ATA or the other examples that you use from that point of view. Uh, but I also want to, I also want to speak for myself, which is. I lead the blockchain and Web3 efforts for FedEx. Uh, we are founding members of a couple of things. One's the Blockchain Research Institute in Toronto, which is Don Tapscott and Alex Tapscott. That's why I came up, that's why I showed you that book. Um, we are also founding members of the Blockchain and Transport Alliance, uh, which was founded by Freight Waves, by the way, in full disclosure, in 2017. Uh, and we were part of that. We are now a separate 501c6 entity of that. Um, but we're focused on open source and royalty-free data standards. We are also focused uh, at the largest level. So from a FedEx point of view, who, who my peer group is, is U.S. Customs and World Customs and DHL and UPS and others like that. And I can only tell you that from my point of view, as I sit on the bit of board and as we do those things, we are focused in creating a level playing field. It's got to work for FedEx, but it's also got to work for the individual truckload operator. It's got to work for the bicycle delivery company. That's where we're going here. So I just want to assure you that there are um, our, our goal is to be adults at the table. It has to be commons. It can't just work for FedEx. We, we came to that conclusion years ago and we said it publicly in early 2019. So just know that there are people out there working for, yes, this technology is where it's got to go, but it's got to work for everyone. You know, uh, the one truck or one to four truck or five to 10 truck or bicycle operator doesn't have an IT group. It, they, they can't afford expensive solutions for this to happen and for this to work. Again, at that global level, there's no industry, there's no company, there's no borders. Data knows no geographic borders. This might be a discussion in domestic U.S., but it also might be a global discussion. And it might, be, it, it might involve literally anybody in this, in this kind of very fragmented global supply chain. So I just want to let you know there are, there are people, there are many people that are also working on this at a broad commons level as well uh, to the benefit of all. 
Can I just say, I mean, this is a gentleman who works, he's, he's you know, working for a, a large enterprise, and, you know, this is the first time I've ever heard, and you've probably ever heard, somebody who works for, you know, in FedEx, respectable organization, great company, but truly, they don't need to care about leveling the playing field, but you have somebody who works for this large organization who's saying, nope, we're looking to level the playing field for small businesses, even the, like, no, knowingly, so, you know, that level of benevolence from a company that large, you're not going to see outside, you know, see somewhere else. And it's just, it's true to, it's true to what this, what this technology and what blockchain is doing to the point in which even up at the highest levels of FedEx looking to level the playing field here because they know the inherent and outright benefit it's going to be for everyone. Yeah, and, I would, and so thank you for that. But I would also tell you that it's not altruistic on our part. It's not, it's not to be benevolent, though I appreciate your comments. It's that it simply won't scale until this happens. And that's, that's where that, that was the real aha moment for us was that we tried, along with everybody else, five or six years ago to say, well, how can we do this on our own? And the answer is we can't. And so that's where the coopetition piece works, right? I mean, we've seen we've seen coopetition. We've seen uh, at the industry level all the way back to the mid 1800s, 1830s or so in Europe when railroads first started, right? They had to work together to say, well, how wide is your track? What's what's the track width of that railroad? Because mine won't connect to yours unless we come up with some of those kinds of things. And once you get to that, you get to schedules, and you get to well. We can't have two trains going opposite directions. I mean, there's lots of that kind of stuff that we all just kind of take for granted now from that point of view. And then later in the early 1900s, we got to auto and air. You don't want two planes landing at the same. You know, there's lots of these examples from that point of view. But we've only had one global technology to date prior to this conversation, and it's the Internet. And the Internet came out, and a pretty small number of people about represented on that stage were, were scientists and engineers, and they made all these standards decisions. They said, okay, well, we need to make it, you know, TCP, IP, HTTP. It has to work from that point of view. We have to make it human readable. We have to make it Todd.com instead of some jumbled language that nobody understands what that is. And that's the only example we've had at a truly global level. This is the other example. It's blockchain and Web3. And for it to work for everyone, we have to create these common standards. Everybody wants to make money on it, but most people wanted to skip the foundational step. You know, if you don't have interstate highways, you can't put businesses on the interstate highways and, and make money off of those. We think this is a foundational step. Um, again, I appreciate your comments, but it's not altruistic. It's realistic. It, it will not scale unless we all come together, and that's regulatory bodies and others, to establish standards that work for all. Uh, the barrier of entry has to be uh, almost non-existent for the one truck company, the five truck company, the bicycle delivery company. That's why we think it has to happen. And then we can all do all kinds of interesting things on top of it. Awesome. Uh, I guess we'll open up the last few minutes for a Q&A to the audience. Does anyone want to hop in with anything? Any questions? Or we can just keep ranting. Uh, a lot of truck drivers are usually seen as like Luddites, very anti-technology. That is absolutely not the case. Um, a lot of the uh, transportation tech companies that I talk to now, I, I came up with it as a joke. It's a question I always ask them, like, are you building R2-D2 or are you building C-3PO? And half of them either get it and they laugh and they tell me what they're doing or they're like, what, is, what do you mean by that? C-3PO is like the worst passenger you could ever have in your car. He's constantly screaming at you, telling you to slow down. You know, what are you doing? You made the wrong turn. 
R2-D2 is your best friend. He's a Swiss Army knife on steroids. He gives you 50 extra horsepower. He opens up all the doors for you. He gets around all the speed traps for you. Um, I see this as like a really good R2-D2. Um, you know, you, you want technology like that that works for you, not against you. And a lot of truck drivers out there that are usually anti-technology, it's tech that works against them that they're, that they're up against. So things like um, inward-facing cameras, electronic logging devices, GPS tracking, any, anything that is used against you to have to make you pay extra fines because you didn't. A lot of drivers won't pick up the phone. You know, most, it's, it's not safe to operate a, a cell phone while you're driving an 18-wheeler. Uh, there are brokers out there that will ding you 50 bucks for not picking up the phone when they call you to say, hey, where are you? Even though they're already tracking your truck in real time via GPS. So not, not a big fan of check calls out there. Well, and I think a lot of the tech that the industry's seen in the last 10 years has been top-down tech, right? Yes. It's been, it's been from regulatory bodies and, and those types of things. So I, I think to your point, uh, it's about time that, uh, that the small businesses in the space started to see some tech that actually helped their P&L and helped their bottom line and helped yeah. their efficiency. I'll, I'll give the audience a really good example of, of uh, technology in the truck that's R2-D2 is the app Waze. When Waze came along, that was a huge game changer. It, tell, it doesn't tell you just what direction you need to be in. It tells you what lane you need to be in. It crowdsources traffic, to, uh, traffic information, speed traps. That's, that's what I mean by building R2-D2 versus C3PO. What's been like your favorite uh, piece of tech in your truck? Or, or I, guess, I guess least favorite. No, least favorite, which is another thing that's, that's happening that people are lobbying for. There's a trucking safety coalition, which is another arm of the ATA, is the, the automatic, automated braking systems and lane deviation. And uh, essentially what this stuff does, and they want to they make it a requirement, but I've had that I have that technology in my truck, and it will slam on your brakes for shadows. And when you're hauling a 12-foot wide tractor or 12-foot wide combine, it's 14 to all. It's not really the, the most efficient technology to have a, a shadow, you know, force the brakes to lock on your... Yeah, a lot, a, a lot of modern vehicles now, like, like passenger vehicles, uh, a kid runs out in the street in front of you, it will automatically stop the car for you. Great. When it works, with semis, they have kind of the same technology, except now you've got a 45,000-pound load behind you. And when that thing slams on the brakes, that load's going through you. Yeah. Yeah, it's all the, the pictures reason. of that happening are, are ugly too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dale, do you want to have anything else? Uh, actually, I haven't heard much from you, Brandon. <laughs> so, uh, so we run a lot of just the pickup trucks and stuff. So we don't really have, you know, a lot of that technology to worry about. Um, biggest thing I have is trying to get the the owner operators to keep their ELDs up to date. <laughs> huge, huge pain in the neck. Um, you, are you guys speed limited? No, you know? no. Oh, the best. <laughs> if you're a driver out there, put, a, put an application in. <laughs> uh, Dale, we're, we're uh, coming up on six minutes here. Do you have any closing uh, remarks? Yeah, I guess my comment, again, I, I, I really miss being there in the room and feeling the energy and seeing the comments and the, and the attendees and all that kind of stuff. But I, you're there for a reason. You're there to learn. You know something. You want to learn more. Uh, just be curious. There's a lot out there. This is a this is an area that's ripe for opportunity. Again, this you know on the LTL side of things, it really hasn't changed in almost a hundred years. Much of this literally is unchanged. I mean, bills of lading have been used probably back to the 1500s um, for ship traffic and for things like that. There's a lot here. You know, it's not it's not oh yeah, oh, I missed that opportunity and now it's all been redone. No, 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 no. It's brand new. 
And there's a lot out here in this global commerce space, whether that's at the truckload level, the LTL level, uh, the ship level, uh, you know, coding, other products that are being offered. There's a lot out there. Uh, just, you know, follow your curiosity. You, you have a desire to learn something or something's going to connect with you. Keep looking, keep asking those questions. This is a ripe, ripe opportunity, I think, in, in the global commerce space. So uh, best of luck with you on that. And just keep asking questions. Just keep learning. Thanks. That is a great point. Bills of bill of leading, fifteen hundreds. You said it goes it goes back to the fifteen hundreds. I think is, that's it, right. Yeah, it, back it, in the ship. Imagine the ship. Ta imagine taking anything from fifteen hundred to like two thousand ten. Now you got smart contracts. Like that is that is like light years ahead of of anything like that. Because mo most of the technology change we've seen has been like you know here and there. Well, we've never seen like a five hundred year jump on on anything that's still happening right now. If I could mention one thing about the, the tech actually being something finally able to, to help the driver, like we were talking about with, with smart contracts. When it comes to drivers, and it's not that they're anti-tech, but there have been a lot within probably since 2010, a lot of you know, technology companies have risen and fallen under the banner of you know, saving the supply chain crisis. And the, thing, and the, the issue is, is they come out with you know, either TMS systems or you know, maybe CRM uh, type type platforms to help streamline things, but they don't realize that like if it, when truck drivers have a bad experience with it once, they're automatically turned off. And that's, and the thing is also at the same time, when it comes to ELDs, you know, Werner Enterprise is one of the first to implement electronic logging devices. And basically, long story short, so you're only able to drive 11 hours a day in a 14 hour window. Pre-2017, people ran paper logs. There was just ways that, it was more of a gray area. It was like on the honor system. But that's how people made money. Now it's on electronic logging devices. You're be written into that clock. DOT heavily enforces it. So when somebody comes out with this technology, sometimes it's only a matter of time before it's then forced, you know, without the option. But this technology is something that is going to is something that truckers are going to see an inherent benefit. It's not something that they're going to be subscribing for because that's the thing. ELDs. You have to pay a, a subscription for that. You know the inboard-facing cameras. You have to pay subscriptions for that. These are all things. These are all things that are going to make mandatory. You know the use of you know truck coin swap. The use of TCS isn't going to be forced, but it's but the, it's you know it's going to become something that they're going to want to use. So widely available, and it's not going to hurt their business. Unlike other technology, and that's what makes this technology different than the other tech that's been rising throughout the industry is is the level playing field, the inherent benefit, and the fact that it reduces costs, not going to take more. And if, if I can just dovetail that quickly, I want to jump back 4,000 years to, to Hammurabi's code. So 4,000 years ago, we had a bunch of laws of commerce uh, scribbled into a, a piece of slate. And one of those laws was in business-to-business -business commerce, you don't charge more than a 10% annualized interest rate to lend money. Now it's 2023. We're charging truck drivers 25 to 35% hard money interest rates so they can take out loans to finance their own paychecks. It's an awful practice. We can do better. And blockchain and digital assets are, are truly at, at the tip of the spear in terms of shielding in that, that innovation. Uh, Brandon, any closing remarks? No, I think, like you said, when it comes to ELDs and, and all the stuff that you're forced to subscribe to, I mean, I think you're looking anywhere from $70 to $100 a month per truck when it comes to ELDs and dash cams um, and all that. So when you have something that can help you out that 
isn't forcing you to to pay a monthly fee, you know, and it helps that bottom line is huge. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been great. I can't believe 90 minutes went by that fast. <laughs> You get two truck drivers up on stage. We can we can we can we can keep going forever. Yeah, well, if you start talking to a driver, we can get talking. I mean, we we're we're very active. Uh, I mean, if this stuff interests you, highly suggest you know finding finding all of us on Twitter. We're heavily you know we're heavily involved in Discord servers and Twitter spaces, always talking about all things freight, freight tech, logistics. Other drivers talking about where they're at. I mean, if you're depending on where you're at career-wise, I mean, look at motor carriers or or freight, you know, logistics companies to work for. They, they, I, th I think now is the, the best time probably to get into the transportation industry, no matter what side. You, if, you, if you want to be a driver, there's definitely a right way to get into it. That's a, so that's a different conversation. But all around, in general, transportation is a great place to be. Um, you know, a good friend of ours, a good friend of everybody on the stage, her name's Blythe. She has a show called Everything is Logistics. And true to the, true to the word, everything quite literally is logistics. So the more you get involved in this type of stuff, you know, the more it's gonna, the more it's gonna benefit the blockchain technology really mainstreaming, all, all in all. And I was just gonna say, Chicago is the largest logistics market I think in in the U.S. So, uh, great great place for us to be. Absolutely, yeah. yeah no, and literally everything is logistics. Um, there's this great speech by Milton Friedman, ranting on about a pencil and all the logistics that goes into like, you know, the, the graphite that goes into it, the wood, the rubber, all that. He would lose his mind on, you know, everything that goes into one of these today. So yeah, future's, uh, future's looking bright. Um, Dale, thank you so much for your time. Brandon, Todd, Mike, um, everybody in the audience, thank you so much for tuning in and watching. All right. Thank you. Most of the cats you meet on the street, they get cooler. Most of the time they're sitting and crying at home. One of these days, then they better be gone.